Welcome to the week four QB list fantasy football podcast. This is our what we saw edition heading into Sunday night football as the Chiefs and Buccaneers are playing. I'm joined by Ryan Heath. I am Eric Smith and we are here for a quick recap on week four's action. Let you know what you missed and just catch you up on things heading into the beginning of your work week here to uh, to maybe fiddle with your rosters as you uh, look at a one and three start in your home league. No, I, I, don't, I don't know what that is like at all. So I'm um, joined by Ryan. Ryan, we've got a lot of bad things to say about coaches tonight, but I think we have one coach that we kind of want to defend here. It was an aggressive attempt by uh, Harbaugh at the end of the Ravens game to try to put away the Buffalo Bills with a touchdown. I don't think we hate this move as much as the rest of the football world hates it. So what did you think about that Bills-Ravens game? And, and should the Ravens have tried to finish off the Bills there? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a classic example of a coach trying to be forward thinking and being aggressive and making, in my opinion, mathematically correct decisions. Um, and then it cuts to the post game show on CBS and you have five guys just making fun of him based on the result. Uh, so yeah, the Ravens ultimately did not win this game. Uh, it, the bills were able to just kick a field goal to clinch the win at the end, but let's think about this. You're John Harbaugh. You've got, <laughs> there's four minutes left or so fourth and two, fourth and two on the goal line. It's tie game. This is the Ravens defense we're talking about. Do the, the Ravens defense that just got cooked by Devontae Parker last week that just gave up a ridiculous amount of passing yards to Tua Tonga Vailoa. Yes, I, I mean, Allen hadn't been completely tearing up this defense like we kind of would have expected him to all day. But are, do you really think that Josh Allen's not capable of? driving down the field and scoring a touchdown and beating you like th that. This is so clear to me that you, when you're fourth and two on their goal line, you take that opportunity to score the touchdown. And I mean, look, it didn't matter anyway, because the bills had no trouble driving down anyway and kicking the field goal. If the Ravens had taken the field goal, then at best they're looking at overtime most likely the Bills just score on them anyway and beat them. So I I, I super don't get the outrage here, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I think it's okay to be upset with the execution or the play call and to not question the whole process. I mean, yes, fourth and goal at the two with four minutes left, an interception is the worst possible outcome. Like normally the Bills are going to be backed up on the two. This brings them out to the 20. Like it was a disaster. We're not debating that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, the Bills, by the two-minute warning on that ensuing drive, are already in scoring range. They're basically just running out the clock to kick the field goal. So if it's a three-point lead, they've got Tyler Bass, who's an excellent kicker. We're seeing the way these kickers are going across the league. If you have a good one, they're nailing field goals from 60 yards. I mean, a 50-yard field goal is no longer some impossible task. So the Bills were well within that range late. Uh, we're just kneeling the ball to kick the game-winning field goal. So if they're down three, then they're just going for the touchdown there. And I, it, it sure did not look like the Ravens were going to stop them. So I do understand some of the pushback where uh, the Ravens defense, the team seemed a little frustrated with the decision. And you do want your team on board with this. Like the mental aspect is important. But um, outside of that, like I just I don't see the outrage for trying to bury one of the league's best quarterbacks who we know can go up and down the field at will. Yeah, and here here's the thing. Here's kind of the double standard here is when John Harbaugh makes a call like that and the result is bad, the Ravens don't win, 
that, as I said, every postgame show in America is just roasting him. But then when you watch Bill Belichick punt when it's fourth and five in overtime, where the Patriots just need to convert that fourth and five, basically, before they're in field goal range and can win the game, that nobody is upset at Bill Belichick for punting that. Like, this is the problem in the NFL. If you lose in the conventionally acceptable way, then no one will ever criticize you. But if you lose in a way that the NFL, like, complex doesn't like, then you're getting roasted for the entire week. And yeah. it's, it's just really annoying to me. Yeah. We're, we're just at a weird time in the NFL. We're so close. Everyone's embracing the passing, you know, we're seeing the bills put up points without a running game. Like we're so close to embracing all of this. We've even got people calling for coaches to be more aggressive on fourth downs. We just, we got to st- stop nitpicking them when these go South. It, it, yeah. I'm right there with you. We're getting close though. We're going to have the NFL. We want one of these days, right? And at least until the cover two defenses forces everyone back to run the ball 40 times a game. I don't know. So, all right. Well, that is probably going to be the only time on this podcast that Ryan and I will defend a coach here because um, again, we want to be positive on these podcasts, but the NFL has really given us a hard time to be positive. Uh, we'll get into, uh, we got some situations that I need somebody to explain it to me like I'm five. So that's going to be our, our segment later on, but let's start off with the news and mainly injuries here. And Ryan, I think this was our first big week uh, as far as game action, where we might have a couple really serious injuries here. Jonathan Taylor, we'll start out with him. It's a potential high ankle sprain. We know that that can just be the kiss of death for these players, especially when they try to return and play on them. So we're still waiting on the status updates on him, but they've got a quick Thursday night football game coming against Denver. Seems awfully, you know, unlikely that he's going to be back for that one. So um, there's not much on this roster other than Naheem Hines at running back. Obviously, they're going to promote someone here, but just kind of what are your thoughts on this team? And like, is this an offense anymore where we even care about the plug and play option behind Taylor or what's going on here in Indianapolis? Yeah, I I don't think it is. And there's kind of two problems here is number one, as you said, the offense is just not what we hoped it would be. This offensive line doesn't look anything like advertised. And problem number two is that this is going to be a split backfield. I mean, Naheem Hines is here. Yes, but. I can't imagine that they give Naheem Hines like a full workhorse early down role as well. I, I think Philip Lindsay's on their practice squad. There's undrafted free agent Devonte Price. Like we, I mean, we have seen the Colts just promote guys from their practice squad in three days and have them be the primary rusher before uh, we we've had Jonathan Williams games before from the Colts. Like I would expect to see a guy promoted and, have them be the lead rusher and Naheem Hines's role not change all that much. Yeah. I mean, Hines got all the snaps after Taylor left, but they were also trailing. They got down early to the Titans 14, nothing in the first quarter. So it was kind of catch up mode for Hines. And even with that, he only ran 11 routes, um, only had two targets. So yeah, I, I think I'm there with you. I don't see some massive change from Hines. I mean, Matt Ryan did throw for 356 today. There was some encouraging stuff here, but uh, I don't think this offense is trending in the way that would kind of lead to some Heinz breakout where they just become this passing offense. I I think Ryan's showing some signs of age here and they're still going to try to run the ball. And I would agree with you. It's going to be some random player who comes up and soaks up 20 carries for 42 yards like Jonathan Taylor did today. So 
I'm kind of staying away from this situation, but I do think we're at the time of the year where waivers is pretty thin. So you could probably spend a little fab on uh, whoever the Colts are going to run here. Yeah. I, I mean, you have, you have to try. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the thing is if, if you just lost Jonathan Taylor on your team, like you're, you need to make some sort of waiver moves. And I, I'm not sure that there are any clearly better ones than just trying to get 60% of his production from whichever player is getting buzz or gets promoted this week. Yep. So keep an eye out on that. I wouldn't be surprised to see a veteran signed. Uh, we'll see what kind of names pop up on this, but um Next up, and I think this one may be the more serious injury, it's Javante Williams for the Denver Broncos. He injured his knee, was immediately declared out with a knee injury. Uh, he was on crutches in the locker room. We're starting to get reports out from Ian Rappaport. They're worried it's a serious knee injury, so who knows? We'll see. This is Sunday night. This could be an ACL. This could be a couple-week injury. We really don't know, but it does not look good for Javante Williams. That means we're probably going to be seeing uh, a lot of Melvin Gordon Ryan, are we going to do the the whole Mike Boone thing? Is this going to happen? I, I think the depths of of you know fantasy football Twitter have wanted Mike Boone to happen for about a decade now. It feels like I think he's only like twenty five, but it seems like this has been forever. So, uh, where are you at on the Broncos' backfield if Williams is out for a while? Mike Boone is actually twenty seven, older older okay. than you might think. Yeah, it it kind of has been a long time. Um, but yeah, so I I think. Obviously, the situation's really unfortunate. I hope Javante is okay, but I've got to say it it made me chuckle a little bit, made me not feel as bad when I open Twitter right after the injury happens and I'm still getting all of the tweets from 30 minutes ago when Melvin Gordon had fumbled and everybody was convinced that it was going to be Javante Williams full steam ahead. Melvin Gordon's finally in the doghouse after his like fourth fumble of the season. And then, of course, we can't have nice things in fantasy football. So, yeah, yeah, I I don't know that I have an amazing take on the Broncos backfield. I I would think that Melvin Gordon continues to take the lead. Like, yeah, he has seemed kind of washed. I've not been all that impressed with what I've seen out of him this year. But I don't think Mike Boone is taking over this backfield. I'm sorry. I would agree with that. I I think I'm more willing to chase Mike Boone, though, than some of the other names in the Indianapolis backfield. Like, I, I think he's at least a clear backup now to Gordon, but Gordon's probably looking at 60-plus percent of the snaps, if I had to guess, going forward. So I do think we'll see some Mike Boone worth an ad. But, yeah, I don't I don't think the breakout's necessarily happening either. Honestly, my first thought here, Ryan, is kind of from a dynasty perspective now, and I kind of talked about it all offseason about how we had all these aging running backs and – We'd kind of been missing out the younger class of running backs coming in behind them because of injuries. And this is just making it even worse, man. I mean, we got Jonathan Taylor. Hopefully he's back relatively soon. But then DeAndre Swift is hurt right now. Javante Williams could be out for a while. Najee Harris has kind of sank his stock since the quarterback situation went south. Like we got a lot of stuff going on here. ETN hasn't really broken out. Dobbins, at least he scored a couple touchdowns. But man, we are really missing out on the young wave of running backs here in Dynasty Leagues. I almost feel like in dynasty, if you don't have a running back right now and you're ready to rebuild, like just go get all the future draft picks you can, because I, I think we need like a fresh batch of running backs that maybe can stay healthy for a year or two. Yeah. The, the Bijan Robinson sweepstakes <laughs> is, ha, has been going on, but it is probably going to kick up a notch after this week. If I had to guess, I think there's a lot of teams that are ready to blow it up and just start hoping for that number one overall pick. Um, 
Yeah, I I mean my even my even my good time dynasty teams are doing horrible this year. I that's in that format I've just not been able to get anything going. Um so yeah, it it is concerning, but I the 2023 running back class as a whole should be pretty good, so hopefully that gets us a little more of an infusion of talent. Um mm. ca- ca- this is kind of similar to how we felt in like 2015, 2016 when a lot of the running backs were really aging in the league. And then we got that 2017 class that kind of came and saved us. Yeah. Well, Josh Jacobs is only 24. Maybe he's the answer going forward, Ryan. I don't know. He's a, he's a PPR monster now. So, all right, let's get on to more injuries here. Uh, Jahan Dotson from the Washington commanders left with a hamstring injury in the fourth quarter says he's feeling pretty good. I really just wanted to use this as an excuse to talk about Washington Sure looked like we were onto something here with this passing offense early on in the year. And uh, Ryan, should we just kind of forget about week one now for Washington? <laughs> I mean, look, it it is still Carson Wentz. Like we we should have understood this maybe yeah. if we didn't totally have it in our minds. But I, from like a macro perspective, like there were still 42 passing attempts from the commanders this week. Like it, it's not like that's going away. This, the volume is going to be there. So yeah. yeah, well, I mean, week to week there, Carson Wentz is going to do Carson Wentz stuff sometimes, but I, I'm still interested in these pass catchers. Okay. Yeah. I mean, their first two weeks were Jaguars and Lions certainly have been excellent fantasy matchups this year. Then a couple of rough weeks with the Eagles and Cowboys. I, I kind of knew this Cowboys matchup was going to be a disaster. I just, Wentz has been getting sacked a lot and they've got a really good pass rush. So yeah, I think we can give them another pass here. It's just really hard when McLaurin's not doing anything, you know, and it's just Wentz is thrown for 170 yards on 44 dropbacks. Like it's pretty ugly, but We've seen this Dallas defense wreck, wreck a lot of passing games. So, yeah, I probably a middle of the first couple of weeks and the last couple for this Washington offense. So, all right, another injury here. Rashad Bateman, uh, receiver for the Baltimore Ravens, went to the medical tent um, after the first play of the second half. He was on the sideline but did not return, and he left the stadium in a walking boot. So, um, that's a bummer. We all like Rashad Bateman. Somebody's got to catch passes other than Mark Andrews here in Baltimore, right? So, is it Devin Duvernay? Like, are we looking at him on waiver wires? He led this team in targets and route run other than uh, Mark Andrews. Like, somebody's got to catch passes here. Would you have any interest if Bateman's out for a little bit? I guess. I mean, the, the thing with the Ravens is they don't really run any of their wide receivers full time. Like, Bateman has only been getting like 70 to 80% route shares this entire season, and he's been leading the team in routes or, or the wide receivers in routes. So, I don't know that Duvernay suddenly becomes like an every route type of player. And I don't also don't know that he steps into like the Bateman slash Hollywood Brown role where it's a lot of deep targets down the field. Um, But yeah, I mean, I guess he's in like wide receiver three territory. I feel like Lamar Jackson is going to support two potentially viable fantasy pass catchers. Um, But yeah, I I wouldn't like think I wouldn't think this is like Devin Duvernay breakout season or anything. Yeah, I'd agree with you. He's just he's had enough flashes first few weeks that I think there's some mild interest there. It's mainly just been I think good touchdown luck. But keep an eye on Duvernay if Bateman's out for any extended period. But hopefully Bateman's back soon. So, all right, next up, let's get to Pittsburgh. Um, we finally are rid of Mitchell Trubisky at least for this week. Um, he was benched in the game for Kenny Pickett. 
Uh, Ryan, does this give you a newfound hope for the passing game? Like we actually saw a a 13.2 average depth of target this week from Kenny Pickett. Like obviously that's going to regress, but can we maybe get a little more excited about some of these uh, Pittsburgh Steeler pass catchers? Yeah, I, we are rid of Mitchell Trubisky, but unfortunately we're not rid of Chase Claypool because he made it his mission to completely take the air out of this Kenny Pickett uh, debut. Um, no, I think the answer to your question, though, is yes. Like, I, I think there's more of a ceiling in Pittsburgh for Deontay Johnson and for George Pickens now. Uh, I, I mean, Pickett threw three interceptions, but not... I wouldn't say that any of the three were entirely his fault and he completed every other pass. So I think that there could be some hope here. Like I don't think this offense is going to radically change overnight, but there there might be a few more red zone trips like that. I, I don't think Deontay Johnson and George Pickens would be mad about that. Yeah. And for my brief sample of Pickett, I saw a couple preseason games I wrote up for what we saw. And then obviously this game, but he does look like a quarterback a little bit more capable of having a volume passing game as opposed to Trubisky. I think the best hope for Trubisky was always some running, some play action outside the pocket, maybe some deep shots. So I think it at least maybe gives us some more volume upside. I, I am interested to see George Pickens had eight targets this week. Uh, Deontay Johnson was down to four. They did give him a couple of rushes, but it will be interesting to see who Pickett's favorite target is. Uh, sometimes we see these quarterback changes and the, and the depth chart gets shaken up a little bit. But yeah, I think you're probably right. I have been a uh, Claypool truther for a while now, and I think it's just done. I think Claypool's not a good player. Yeah, I almost talked myself into playing him in DFS this week, which, spoiler alert, would not have mattered. I got <laughs> absolutely demolished in DFS this week and with or without Chase Claypool, uh, <laughs> like like actually the worst week I've ever had um, ju- just in fantasy football in general. But yeah, I am just kind of done with Claypool and I am not sure why the Steelers aren't either. Well, uh, yeah, Ryan, in my home league, I used the injuries for the Lions to uh, pivot from Jared Goff to Marcus Mariota at quarterback. So um, more on that Falcons game here in just a minute. But it's been a rough week here at the QB Los Fantasy Football Podcast. So I guess it's going around. All right. Last uh, bit of news up top. I uh, just wanted to mention Traylon Burks carted the locker room late. No more details than that. Not a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, I'm just sad, Ryan. I, I don't think it's going to happen this year unless he uh, miraculously returns next week. Yeah, and it's kind of a point where if, if this is next offseason and he's on a dynasty team, you've got to really think about what he's shown and what you've seen because I, the history of players that don't produce at all in their rookie year, even regardless of injury, is not great. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we saw elite targets per out run from him, but it was just very up and down in terms of playing time. Like, it, yeah. if this is Burks's rookie season, then th- we're probably going to be debating this for the next nine months. <laughs> and this Tennessee's kind of like a team, maybe like Chicago to some extent. Like, we're so down on Tennessee, but they're 2-2, two and two and they just beat the Colts, you know, in Indianapolis. So I'm not even sure if they've learned any lessons yet. They're still pounding the ball with Derrick Henry, and, hey, maybe this works out for them, and they kind of just roll through with things next year. Like, I, I think there's some maybe dynasty managers out there thinking, oh, well, maybe next week it's – or next year it's Malik Willis, and, you know, they give Traylon Burks a run, and this is a new, fresh offense. But I, I don't know. If this team goes 9-8, and eight, I'm not sure if they're blowing this up. Yeah, I mean, even a Malik Willis offense is probably even lower volume yes. passing. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's great for Traylon Burks either. Yeah. All right. 
Well, we our next segment here, I was at a loss for a title here. So I just came up with, um, Ryan, I'm going to need you to explain it to me like I'm five. I've got a few things that happened this week. And uh, logic is, is just, I, I have no logical explanation for some of this stuff. So we're going to try to work through this. It's maybe like a therapy session here. Maybe that's the better title. But uh, first up, I think a game we were excited for here. Uh, it was this um, Atlanta Falcons-Cleveland Browns game. We thought there was a little sneaky shootout potential. Turns out that Amari Cooper, Kyle Pitts, and Drake London combined for four receptions in this game. And, I mean, they're in the 20s. Like, it's not like this was a, a 7-3 to three ball game. So, um, Ryan, explain it to me like I'm five. What happened here in this Falcons-Browns game? Well, Eric, both <laughs> teams decided that they would simply establish the run instead of playing the type of football we want them to. Uh, so Drake London led the Falcons with 19 routes run. And when, when I saw that stat, I want, wanted to stand up and walk away from my computer. Like I, I, I'm just done. What, why, why do we bother playing this game? Uh, and even worse, only 60% route participation for Kyle Pitts. Uh, j- just for comparison, that's what Irv Smith did in London this morning. So that that's where we're at with the Kyle Pitts usage right now. Uh, it, I don't know if I can explain this. Like may- maybe you need to explain this to me. Like I just lost all my money in DFS because that that's where my brain is at right now. Okay. I, I watched a good bit of this game, so let me give it a shot. So First of all, I think I cursed us. Uh, it was probably about second drive of the game where I, I posted in our Discord channel here. I was like, wow, I think Marcus Mariota's kind of good. Like, they looked really good early on. Things were really moving for both teams. Like, the passing games were working. And then we kind of joke about them wanting to establish the run. But I will say in this game, like, it seemed like both the Falcons and the Browns realized that the other team could not stop the run. And so they just stopped passing. And it Normally, I would dunk on them for it, but they were just running like crazy. I mean, Atlanta had a whole drive where they fed Caleb Huntley the ball like every single play. He rushed for 10 or ten carries for 56 yards and a touchdown on the game, and it was almost all on the same drive. Uh, Tyler Algier busted a 42-yard run at one point. Avery Williams got one carry, busted it for 21 yards. Like They started out with Cordell Patterson, who looked good, and he's kind of playing injured, so they they sat him for a good part of the second half, but like everyone in Atlanta was just ripping off runs and they just stopped passing. So another weird thing about the Falcons that I noticed, and it kind of reflects with what you said with the route participation and the routes run, like it almost seemed like the Falcons have a second team unit that they wrote in, rotate in every once in a while, especially receiver. And it's like, okay, we're running for these two plays. So off come London, off comes Pitts, and we're just going to run it with, you know, Olamide, Zacchaeus, and whoever else is on the field. So just a very odd like offensive game plan, but it worked. Um, so I, I don't even know what to say. Like they were running like crazy in the second half. So that was my thoughts on Atlanta. Like Mariota was forcing the ball to London a lot and including in the red zone and on the interception, like it kind of seems like London's the number one cause he's a receiver and they're kind of forgetting about pits. So I, I think my biggest takeaway was I do think there's hope for London, but it really seems like Pitts' shot at being a breakout player is on life support here. So I'd like for you to talk me into it, but I'm not sure if you can talk me into Kyle Pitts this year. Yeah, for this year, I just think that this is kind of the Falcons offense. Like, yeah, there will be games where they're pushed to throw more so. And I we can all like get on the cope train and say that Desmond Ritter is going to come in and save this offense. But I don't think any of us actually believe that. 
so yeah, if Pitts is not posting anywhere near 90% route participation, um, and yeah, as you said, London is running more routes, commanding more targets. Yeah, I, I think Pitts is the second option. And on this offense, that is not going to be a great fantasy tight end. So yeah, I one, I guess we're waiting one more year on the Kyle Pitts breakout. Yeah, I mean, Mariota played 55 snaps. Pitts was on the field for 34 of them, right? Like, it it felt that way. Like, he was out of the game a lot. There were a lot of, like, two tight end sets where it was like, where is Kyle Pitts? And uh, I, I guess they decide they needed a blocker, maybe, and he's not a good blocker. It's just, it's rough. Uh, you can understand this game from the Browns' perspective, I think. Like, Amari Cooper was matched up on Desmond Trufant a lot. as a good corner and... Like, I don't know. As a result, Donovan Peoples-Jones had a good game. He had nine targets. Most of it was on a big bomb on a play action, though. And Joku's getting heavily targeted. Like, I think we kind of expect this from the Browns, right? Especially against a team like the Falcons. It's just going to be all running. But still a little disappointing to see Cooper with very little production. Yeah, th- this is what I would ex- would normally expect from the Browns. I think kind of the thesis and the hope was that the Falcons were going to push them because the Browns have been more of a pass funnel so far this year. But yeah, that that just wasn't the case today, unfortunately. And yeah, I I think what you said earlier, like about the Bears and the Titans feeling like they're getting rewarded for this behavior that we don't like. I, I think it's kind of the same thing in Atlanta too. Like they, they've been in most of these games. They've been beating their implied totals. Like I, I think Arthur Smith is kind of smelling his own farts right now and probably thinks that he has something going here. Because again, they won. Uh, they, they won by three points. They are two and two. Uh, they ran 35 times for 202 yards. So like, again, I get that part. They were running like crazy, but they're still just not using pits right. So I think that's the most frustrating part, but I don't know. Other than that, I mean, again, the Browns didn't have either of their starting pass rushers here. They didn't have Miles Garrett or Jadavion Clowney. Like I just, I thought we'd get a little more than uh, 139 passing yards from Marcus Mariota and three rushing yards, but it just all went to Caleb Huntley. So that I don't know, Ryan. That's all I got in this one. All right. Well, why don't we move on to this next game? Maybe you can explain this to me like I just lost all my money, Eric. Uh, so I did not see Jared Goff having a successful day with almost none of the Lions skill position players playing today. Uh, DJ Chark was out of this game. Amon Ross St. Brown was out of this game. DeAndre Swift was out of this game. Yet. This was the highest scoring game on the slate, uh, Lions and Seahawks. And Geno Smith also had himself a day. So explain to me what happened here, Eric. (laughs) Oh, man. I I really thought there were too many weapons missing for Goff, and we shouldn't be playing them anymore. And little did I know that, like you said, Geno Smith and the Seahawks were going to put up so many points that the Lions just were in throw-it mode. Um, I don't know. Both teams ran it like crazy. I mean, 7.1 yards per attempt for Seattle on 33 carries, 5.8 on 25 carries for the Lions. Like, it's wild, man. Like, I did not expect the Seahawks to put up 48. I don't care how bad the Lions defense is. And that's really why I was down on golf, because I thought with these limited weapons, we were just going to see all running the ball kind of close to the vest. And you know, I think TJ Hawkinson was the number one fantasy scorer this week. Um, so that's what happened, Ryan, is we had the TJ Hawkinson breakout on 12 targets, eight catches, 179 yards, and two touchdowns. He almost had a third touchdown, I'm pretty sure, too. Um, he had an 81-yarder. Like, 
48-45, man. Like this feels like half the league scoring was just in this one game. Yeah. Hey, well, when you think about this TJ Hawkinson breakout uh, posting one of the best fantasy weeks of all time for tight ends, uh, what's important to not lose sight of is this is great for Amon Ross St. Brown, because what this tells me is that St. Brown is so good and commands targets in such an insane fashion when he's on the field that he has kept TJ Hawkinson from doing this all this time. Where, where has this been? I all I all I can think is that Amon Ross St. Brown has just been alphaing him. That's that's incredible. I never thought of that. Um, yeah, I guess that he's been holding back the breakout. Same with Josh Reynolds, who went seven for eighty-one in a touchdown here. So. Man, I think Ryan, like, I mean, we had a thousand and seventy-five combined offensive yards in this game. Like, we made just every Lions game just need to tell everybody to start every player on both sides of the ball going forward. Like, this is just outrageous. Like, there's every week is like this with the Lions. And I thought the Seahawks might be slow paced enough to break it, but no. Yeah, I mean, if the Lions are gonna be first in the NFL in total offense and dead last in total defense, then yeah, guess what? Any game they're in is probably the most likely to shoot out in any given week. Uh, So, yeah, but I I mean, I I think what is interesting here is going forward, what do we believe about these two quarterbacks? Because Jared Goff, I was with you. I I was very much of the opinion that this is, this is a system type of thing with all of the weapons around him with the offensive line, which was still intact, but was just not expecting Goff to perform whatsoever with no weapons to throw to, but also Geno Smith on the other side of the field. I, even before this week, he entered this week eighth in total passing EPA. Uh, he was leading the league in completion percentage. I believe he still is. He just posted seven, a 77% completion rate today. Yep. It, is Geno Smith good? Was Pete Carroll right all along? Like it, Geno Smith is outperforming Russell Wilson so far this year in most stats what like what what are we doing here do i have to apologize to pete carroll for all the shade i've thrown at him for years i think you might have to i mean he's it's not even like this was just check down stuff either i mean geno smith had 30 attempts and 18 of them went to metcalf and Lockett. like he's feeding them i think metcalf had 12 targets last week like he looks i mean he's kind of passing the eye test too i i, I don't know how you poke too many holes in this other than it's Geno Smith and just all past precedent tells us to fade this. So, man, I don't know. I mean, you look at some of these other quarterbacks across the league, there's zero floor on some of these fantasy quarterbacks. I mean, Mariota, we just saw just basically goose egg everyone. Like we're seeing all these quarterbacks just really have down weeks. And right now, Geno Smith looks pretty good. So I think we have to apologize. And and yeah, just um, Geno Smith got a big contract coming up, I guess. God, I, I have to, I just, I have to rank Geno Smith this week. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like what? Oh yeah. This is a disaster for, for me and for everybody in America outside of Seattle. Yeah. Cause quarterback's supposed to be all that matters, right? And it's, it's the NFL. You just follow the quarterback. Those are the good offense. That's where the fantasy production comes from. So I don't know. Geno's upcoming schedule at the saints, uh, home against the Cardinals at the chargers, home against the giants at the Cardinals. Like I, I don't know. We might be able to get a little more going here. So more on that on the sit start podcast, I guess, because uh, we have to take this uh, Seattle offense seriously. Now, what did you think? I mean, Rashad Penny, this is just dream game script for him, right? Like we still didn't see any passing game work. Obviously he's a talented back, but how many games are they going to be able to stick to the run in like a high scoring game like this? 
Yeah. So Penny did have 50% route participation this week. So that, okay. that is something. So that, I mean, maybe that changes as Travis Homer gets healthier. It's tough to say. Um, but yeah, I think Penny is the type of player where we have to pick our spots in high scoring games. Then yeah, we can probably throw them in. If we're expecting positive game script, then absolutely we can throw them in. But yeah, this, this is a very situational week to week play in my opinion. Um, but that, that didn't stop the Penny hive from victory lapping their faces off on Twitter today. And you know what? Good, good for you guys. Like I, Penny was maybe the one thing I got right in DFS this week. I actually played him so that we can be happy about him together. Well, in the anti Penny hive, uh, it was looking bad early on for Penny this week and they, they got burnt by their tweets. So I hope you avoided those, but um, yeah, I, man, he's one of those players. It feels like a lot of the league this year, it's they're either on or off. Like it's, there's no in between. We're either getting 17 for 151 and two touchdowns, or you're going to get six fantasy points. It's just been a bizarre, bizarre year so far. I don't know how else to say it at this point. So uh, I think that wraps up that crazy game. Just play everyone in any Lions game ever. So um, my question I've got for you, Ryan, I feel like you're the right person to ask here. Um, explain this to me like I've just lost DFS money because I played Gabe Davis in a few of my lineups. Uh, thought it was maybe a little bit of a, you know, I wanted that Josh Allen stack and I thought everyone would go for Stefan Diggs. So I went for Gabe Davis to mix it up. So, um, Ryan, is Gabe Davis playing hurt or is he just not good at football? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Can I answer both? Like, yes. I, the, yeah. So, Gabe Davis so far this year has been targeted on only 9.3% of his routes. Uh, he has been running like every route whenever he's been healthy and playing. So that, I mean, that's good. That was, I guess that was part of the Gabe Davis thesis, but 9.3% targets per route run is not going to get it done. Uh, his rookie year, he was higher than that. He had 13% as a rookie and 18% last year as a sophomore. So I, I guess the question is, like, is that targets per outrun down because he's hobbled or just as we see with players often that their efficiency declines when they come out of a limited role and enter a full-time role? Uh, that, I mean, we this happens with average players, ev like, every year. Like, th this is what we expect normally. So I think the jury's still out on Gabe Davis. Um, I would probably go back and laugh at the people victory lapping on him after week one. Like that, that looks pretty funny right now, but I, yeah, I, I don't think he's necessarily like a buy um, just because I, I don't believe in the talent profile really. And it, he has to command at least some targets. Like he, he doesn't have to be the Devonte Adams level target vacuum to succeed on this offense, but mm -hmm. he ha he has to not just be running wind sprints. Like he he can't be Marquez Valdez Scantling. Yeah, uh, or Emmanuel Sanders for the Bills last year. That's kind of who comes to mind as they just seems like they stuck him outside and he just ran down the field on go routes and never got the ball. So I, I'm torn on Davis. Like he's been on the injury report for two straight weeks, but played even though he was a little questionable. I mean, he played 63 snaps and ran 42 routes, the most on the team today. I wouldn't think they would do that to him if he's really out there that hobbled. But obviously, he does have an injury. I don't know. Like, on one hand, he only had three targets. On the other hand, Stefan Diggs only had six. Like, so it's this is really difficult for me to figure out this Bills offense. I think they're in trouble, though, if Gabe Davis is not good. I mean, as in trouble as the Bills offense can be. But they need somebody to step up behind, beyond Stefan Diggs and – 
Um, unless it's going to be like Devin Singletary every week. Like I, I don't see a lot of options here if it's not Gabe Davis. That's what makes me think this is going to work out eventually. But three targets, one catch, 13 yards against what we thought was a subpar Ravens defense is a huge disappointment. Yeah, I don't know. I personally, I hope we start seeing some more Khalil Shakir snaps on offense. He had a target this week, so may, yep. maybe that's the solution to this. But that, I mean, that that's just like ridiculous talk. Like that's that's just what I'm wish casting for. Yeah, it looks like Isaiah McKenzie, 31 snaps, uh, Shakir, 15, and Jameson Crowder, 11. So maybe he's at least past Jameson Crowder. We'll have to listen to the coaches during the week. But Devin Singletary really took over those backfields. So 55 snaps, six for Zach Moss, and two for James Cook. So maybe maybe we just want Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Devin Singletary. That's all we love from this offense. I don't know. But I do think Davis is kind of like a if your team's in desperation mode and you need to swing for the fences, I could see buying low on Gabe Davis that it could pay off here or it might not I don't know this season's just uh, kind of a mess so all right last one here Ryan I need you to explain to me how does Josh Jacobs break out against a good Broncos defense after disappointing or mediocre performances against the Chargers Cardinals and Titans defenses so why why this week against the Broncos defense does Josh Jacobs just go nuclear I'm so this is another one where I maybe I needed explained to me like I lost money in DFS because Jacobs was chalk this week. And I, whenever I see Josh Jacobs chalk, I like laugh and just play 0%. Uh, but th- that didn't work out. Obviously I, anytime you're going to get 28 rushing attempts, like you, you're probably going to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, look, Jacobs has been fa- like fairly uh, dominating this backfield through four weeks, just as far as usage percentage goes. But it, it's not like that's looked like an amazing role so far. Like through entering the week, he was just 21st among running backs and expected fantasy points. So if, yeah, there could be games, we could pick some spots here where we think that there's going to be good production out of the Raiders backfield and he will be the one to benefit. We know, know that pretty for certain Uh, like Brandon Bolden has not been a thing. Like they seem to want like that. There isn't really anybody else here taking significant work, Um, but there's still going to be a lot of like 14 attempts for 60 yards and no catches types of games for Jacobs. I, I think. Yeah, it it kind of changed this week. He was I uh, seen 66% of the snaps through the first three weeks, which was eighth best among running backs, which kind of made me think maybe we should have seen this coming. Maybe we were too low on him, but um, 5.6% target share before this week. So maybe we were right to fade him. Uh, but if you do look at this week, it really changed. I mean, he dominated the snaps. He had 67 snaps compared to Brandon Bolden's fives, Amir White's three, Amir Abdul's one, like Something changed this week, and he took a massive part of the snaps. So if that's going to happen and he's going to get six targets, great. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would also say this was an 0-3 team coming into this week. Uh, it's still a team we expect to force the ball to Devontae Adams a lot. Um, maybe it's just not going to trickle down to Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro when he gets back, and there's still something left for Jacobs. But that was my main concern. This is going to be a lot of passing. Uh, Jacobs isn't going to get the targets and if they're not a good team, then that's going to be a lot of down weeks. So I, I'm a little torn on Jacobs. I don't think you're really going out and trading for him, but we may have been a little low on him just because it's Josh Jacobs, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't think there's, see, I was about to say, I don't think there's season long upside in a player like Josh Jacobs that that's just the archetype that I'm never really interested in, but 
with all of these running back injuries and the amount of scarcity that it seems like we're going to have at the position this year, like maybe Josh Jacobs doesn't look so bad right now. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't be all that upset to have him on my team. Yeah. Fun stuff. He was um, running back two this week behind Austin Eckler and Eckler got that on the back of three touchdowns. So pretty much. uh, Yeah. If your running back scored two touchdowns this week, you're in good shape, Ryan. That's, that's what you needed to do in DFS. Yeah, I this is what I learned. Like I, I think through the early slate, I had literally two players in my entire player pool that had scored touchdowns. Uh that that was like seven percent Cordero Patterson. I played like three percent Gerald Everett. Th- those were the only non-quarterbacks I played that scored touchdowns in the early games. So that that right there, I think, tell tells you where I went wrong. I, I just should have played the guys that scored touchdowns. Like, how could I not think of this? I think it was a down week for PPR backs. I don't know exactly how this compares to a typical week, but we only had five running backs with six or more targets. I mean, that's kind of an arbitrary number, but doesn't feel like there was a lot of work to go around in the passing game this week. So yeah, that's going to leave you pretty touchdown dependent here. So those five running backs with six targets, Damian Pierce, Brees Hall, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, and Christian McCaffrey. So just how we planned it at the beginning of the season. So, all right, let's get on to Monday night football. Um, We're going to do this every week where we kind of give you some last minute tips. Maybe you're debating a couple of the close receivers or running backs in this matchup. So um, Ryan, what are your overall thoughts? This is going to be Rams 49ers. Man, I feel like this should be a lot more exciting of a game, but I'm having a hard time getting real interested in this Monday nighter. Yeah, watching the 49ers on primetime last week has radicalized me against any 49ers games. Uh, it's I am not looking forward to this one, but we we will trudge ahead. Uh, yeah. So the over-under on this game right now is 42.5 points. Uh, the 49ers are favored by 1.5. So yeah, not, not personally expecting a whole lot of scoring. Uh, the 49ers have allowed under 10 fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks through three weeks. If I'm looking at my roster with Matthew Stafford on it and I need like 18, 19 points or something like normal quarterback points and Jimmy Garoppolo is on my waiver wire, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm not saying I'm making the move, but it it's making me think a little bit. Yeah, I get that. I mean, Stafford's been disappointing for sure. I mean, this matchup, I don't like the matchup on either side, honestly. So I would tend to lean Stafford pretty easily just because I do think he's got more season long upside. So I wouldn't want to make that move. He's got a better arm. He's got more playmaking abilities. So I'm going to stick with Stafford, but it, yeah, it's telling that in this matchup, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, maybe Garoppolo. So I'm there with you, but, but give me Stafford. Yeah. I, it's, it's like, Oh, favored by a point and a half. Like maybe, maybe that's where you take the points there, but yeah, no, I, I agree. You, you've got to play Stafford, unfortunately. Um, looking at desperation options, there really aren't a whole lot in this game. Uh, these offense or offenses are both fairly consolidated as far as the targets and the touch shares go. I I think Ben Skoranek is about as close as you're going to get to like a punt play 98% route participation on the year, six targets last week. He's out playing Allen Robinson. I maybe the targets continue to shift his way and away from Robinson. Uh, but I, I'm having trouble naming any other player in this game that I would start Skoranek over. Um, like I, I think I would even flex like Tyler Higby over him just because I 
feel way better about his target volume than I would a player like Skoranek. Is there anybody that you're like worried about on either side that you might think about Skoranek over? No, he just feels a little gimmicky to me personally. I would be shocked if he, man, I mean, I know his usage compared to Robinson looks pretty close, but I still think Robinson gives you the upside that you're looking for. I, I just think Skowronek's kind of, yeah, like I said, I just think he's kind of a gadget player at this point. So now I'm not really looking to play him. I'd play Higby. I'd play, yeah, any of the relevant options in this game over them. I'd, I'd play Jeff Wilson Jr., whoever you can come up with. I, I, I would take them over Skowronek. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, th- I think maybe the, yeah, may- maybe Skowronek over any 49ers running back that's not Jeff Wilson would be, yeah. be about the line in the sand I draw, but hope hopefully you're not down that bad. Um, and then I, I threw something into the sit start tool that I thought was kind of interesting that this is an actual sit start question I was asked earlier in the week. Uh, so in the flex, would you play Tyler Higby or Brandon Ayuk? Uh, so the tool shows Ayuk having a better ceiling of over 9.4 fantasy points, but Higby having a better floor if you need less than 9.4. Higby has three more targets on the year, has 0.8 more expected fantasy points per game than Ayuk. But I I tend to agree with the tool that the upside is probably with Ayuk, right? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's coming off a back-to-back eight target games. Like, I think that's encouraging. So, yeah, I would be chasing Ayuk. I would be chasing the upside here. And I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see how much he's, he's squared up against Patrick Ramsey in this one. But uh, yeah, I, I would take Ayuk over Higby. There's just, I mean, yeah, maybe if you really need like six points, you go with Higby. Other than that, like the ceiling is all Ayuk. Yeah, 38% of the 49ers air yards have gone to Ayuk so far this year. And for Higby, that number is only 10%. I mean, it's <laughs> just all been check downs for Matthew Stafford for him. Not Nothing deep down the field. So Yep, I think we're in agreement that if you need, if you need a big performance, it's Ayuk you're going with. Yeah, and I think everyone else would probably ask about Allen Robinson. Like, you're probably not left with many options at this point. I think I'd probably start Ayuk over Robinson, but I'm not sure how you feel about him. Like, it's been rough. I mean, Robinson has a 12% target share. That's third of among Rams receivers. Like, I'm hoping for, I still think that there's upside season long, but it's really hard for me to start Robinson right now with any confidence. Yeah, absolutely would go Ayuk over Robinson. I, The more I think about it, the more I think that Robinson versus Skaranek is like an actual debate. Um, I'd probably still go with Robinson, uh, but it, yeah, it it makes you think. It's There's a lot of things that are making me think about Allen Robinson. I just, I don't know how he looks so good in camp and now we're here where he's getting five targets a game and not producing on them. So I don't know, maybe it's still the Super Bowl hangover. This team's going to snap out of it, but uh, San Francisco this week, Dallas next week. Even Carolina's defense hasn't been that awful. And then a bye week, um, San Francisco again. Man, the Rams have some tough defenses lined up. So I don't know. It, it may be We may be forced with some real questions about Allen Robinson here pretty soon about if he ends up on the waiver wire. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm going to keep saying this until he proves me wrong. I think that Occam's razor is just that Allen Robinson was kind of washed last year, getting out produced by Darnell Mooney. And he's still washed this year. Like that, that's all there is to it. I guess the Los Angeles media decided to gaslight us all summer (laughs) about how Allen Robinson is actually still good guys. Totally believe us. Uh, But that, that was clearly not the case so far. 
We were lied to, Ryan. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for week four. I swear one of these weeks we're going to have a real fun, happy week to talk about. And we're going to talk about how great our DFS lineups were and our fantasy teams and all that. But actually, most of my teams are pretty good. It's just my home league team. It seems like all my bad luck is just focused onto that one. So I swear we're still good at this. Uh, We just still like to complain about things come Sunday night. So other than that, um, as always, check out the What We Saw article. Uh, It's going to be in-depth on all these games. We're recording this during the Sunday Nighter, so obviously we do not have information on that game. I did see that CEH uh, has maintained his toward touchdown pace, so that's another conversation for another day. But um, until uh, next week, I hope you all pull out some wins here on Monday night. We'll have the Waiver Wire podcast coming out soon with Callum and AJ. And thanks for listening, everyone.